0: Twelve, Romans 12, if you would go ahead and take your seats. <clears throat> Romans 12, let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here before we get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Thank you for the time to be here. Let your spirit lead, guide, and teach. And just pray we could only think of you, Lord, and what your plan and your will is for us. And In your name we pray, amen. Time change Sundays are always kind of fun and always kind of difficult. Before Dawn and I had kids, I always looked at the Sunday with time changes just being annoying. And now that we have kids, I just find it mean. So... They don't understand, so, and I don't know if I fully understand it either. So with that being said, even though it's really 10.35, it really feels like it's 9.35, and so really the 8.30 service should just be finishing up. So I thank you guys for coming early to the 10 o'clock. With that being said, we're in Romans 12 today, and I am really excited about what we have to say this morning because we're, we're getting a different theme now in Romans. As we've said before, the first eight chapters are kind of heavy, sin, salvation, gospel, Deep stuff, a lot of stuff to chew on. The last three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, have really been some burden chapters. And I don't mean burden in a bad way, but I'm saying this burden of, okay, we have the responsibility of the gospel. We want to go out and share Christ with people. And and really walked away, hopefully, from those messages, saying, I really want to spread your word. Now... Romans 12 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because verses 9 through 21 are what I call the Proverbs of the New Testament. The short little verses that just have a really neat point, we're going to get to that next week. What we're going to do here this morning is verses 3 through 8. And I love this passage and I love these verses because we get to talk about the different gifts and abilities that the Spirit gives us as believers. We get to find what our purpose is. We get to find where our role is in the body of Christ, how do we serve the body of Christ, and how do we fit into this big thing? And that's what I love about this. So I hope you're as blessed by this as as I am. Now, with that being said, let's get our introduction here done. Verse 3 of Romans 12. For I say, through the grace given to me, To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we as have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let's stop right there. The first point that Paul tries to make here is, we're a body. We're a family. That's a phrase that the Lord uses extensively. We're a body of Christ. We're a family. And just like in your natural family, you may have siblings, you may have cousins, you may have parents that you don't really like. And you didn't get a chance to choose those. Just like as the family in the body of Christ, you have brothers and sisters in the Lord that you really may not like. You may not have chosen them to be your brother and sister in the Lord. Christ did. You may have parts on your body that you don't like. That one part of your body really may have worked really well and at one time it may have looked really, really good. And now that part of your body looks absolutely horrible and it's really useless and pointless in many different ways. doesn't matter. That part of your body is still part of your body. So that's the point that Paul is trying to make here is we have good family, we have bad family. We have good parts, we have bad parts. doesn't make a difference. We're all still family, we're all still part of the body. And he's trying to make this point that we have to see the big picture here because it's really easy for us to look at people we like And elevate them. It's easy to work with him. It's easy to work with her. Oh, I like it when he calls me. Oh, I like it when she's the one serving. That's easy. Oh, it's him today? No, not him. Oh, it's her? No, not her. That's not the way it works. We're a body that comes together. Let's build on this, if you will. We have a couple verses to build on this foundation. Go, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians 2. There's a desire through the Spirit and through the Lord for us to be one. we got four boys, another one on the way here in a few weeks and part of our desire is for them to live at peace. When there is peace, things just go better. For you that have kids, when they're at each other's throats, you know how difficult that makes the evening and the day. Well, the same thing up in heaven. The Lord looks down at his children and says, can't we all just get along? Well, let's see what happens here. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now to stop and look at that. Paul says, my desire through the Lord, through the Spirit. God's desire is, verse 2, like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind. What are we talking about? Unity. Do you realize one of the biggest things that the enemy loves to do is to create division in a church? Because then all your time and energy and resources are spent fighting each other rather than spreading the gospel. And then all your time and energy is spent wondering what he is saying or she is doing or what are they doing rather than stopping and saying, can we just see Christ magnified and glorified? And this is Paul's desire. One mind, one accord, same love, being like-minded. How do we do that? Well, the answer is found in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others. Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interests of others. What a simple, straightforward verse. You know how hard that is to do? Human nature, we as humans, are selfish. We're selfish people. Now, if I have extra, it's really easy to give that out. But if I'm down to my last few items and I need them for me, if you come ask to borrow, it's really hard. That, that survival instinct kicks in where I think of me and my family and my house. No. We're supposed to put everybody else above us. We're supposed to esteem others before us. Not only look out for my interests, but the interests of others. This is why we have a time of fellowship in between worship announcements and teaching. So that way you can go look at the interests of others. There may be somebody you've never met before, somebody you've never seen here before church. Go over and say hi to them. There may be someone you see sitting all by themselves. You go over and sit with them. You talk to them. You say hello. You look out for the interests of others. On Wednesday nights, we'll spend 10 minutes of an hour-long service. To do prayer requests. Why? Because we look out for the interests of others. If someone has something they want to pray about, we'll stop and we'll do that. That's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to let go of my own personal opinions and, and selfish ambitions and say, I'm going to put that other person ahead of me, before me. That's difficult to do. But that's what it means to be a body, to be a family. And one more passage on this that brings it all together. Go, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. This is the... Book end of this that brings it all together first corinthians 12 it says in 1 corinthians 12 verse 12 first corinthians 12 verse 12 for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body it's the holy spirit that brings us together into one verse 14 for in fact the body is not one member but many if the foot should say because i'm a, not a hand I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. And if we were all one member, where would the body be? Be. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. That's the way it's supposed to be. We all serve a purpose. We all have a reason and thing that's important. You use your hands, you use your ears, you use your eyes, you use your sense of smell, you use everything. That means across the board here as a body, we all want that same thing. We all serve and need each other. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? What would happen if we were all just teachers? Where would be the time of worship? Where would be the time of fellowship? Where would be the time of service? Well, what happens if we all just wanted to focus on worship? Or would be the time of teaching? Or would be the time of fellowship? You need this balanced thing. And I run into people sometimes, and, and that's fine. Their heart is fellowship. They just love fellowship. They love just getting together with other Christians. That's great. That serves a purpose. That's wonderful. But the truth of the matter is also, if the whole focus is just getting together for fellowship, there also needs to be a time of teaching. There also needs to be a time of worship. Well, then I know people, it's all about worship. Let's just all worship. Worship's great and wonderful. I love worship. There's also a time of fellowship. There's also a time of teaching. And very rarely someone will come up to me and say that they really want the teaching to go on. Well, that's great, but you also need that time of fellowship. You also need that time of worship. And you ultimately need that time of service, where you have the time of fellowship, worship, and teaching, but then you also have that time to go out and let's actually do something with what we have learned and what we've grown in. You need all aspects of it, just like the body needs the eye, it needs the hand, it needs the nose, it needs everything to come together. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand, head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. This is what we're guilty of, aren't we? We we look at certain members of the body... They just don't really serve a purpose, right? They just, they just really don't. Well, I mean, what do they do? I mean, if, if so-and-so would, would quit serving that area or so-and-so would leave, oh, my goodness, how would we fulfill that? How would we fill that role? That person is so vital. Oh, that person left the church? They didn't, they didn't really do anything. It's not that big a deal. Now, wait a second here. Just because we don't see the purpose, we don't see the honor in them, makes them less honorable. God says every member of the body deserves honor and it has a plan and a purpose and a part. We have to get this mindset that every person has a plan and a purpose in the body of Christ. And it's important to know this. It's not our place to value more people over other people. It's not our place to say that person is more important than that person. If you have that mindset... You're in danger of not seeing it through the eyes of Christ. And we all struggle with this sometimes. I, I was really convicted by a teaching at a pastor's conference a while ago where they started talking about sometimes those members of the body that you really look at and you really say, gosh, they don't bring a lot to the table. They don't bring a lot. And You have a tendency just to almost subconsciously not minister to them as much because you want to focus more on these people that are really healthy and really serving and really helping out. The guy says, no, no, no. It's those less honorable ones. It's those weaker ones that we really need to spend that time and energy with. Those are the ones that we need to stop and say, I want to serve with them. I want to work with them because God says he's going to use them. God says they have a plan and purpose. Look at verse 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Did you catch that? Same care for one another. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's why on Wednesday night, if someone is suffering because of their cousin hurting, we suffer with them in prayer. If someone is, is rejoicing because their cousin's doing well, we rejoice with them. When you come into here on a Sunday morning, it's really come in almost with a, and I hesitate to use this word, a selfish mindset of, okay, what am I going to get out of this today? Oh, I hope they do those songs that I like. I hope he teaches on that part that I like. I hope I get to sit by that person that I like. What would happen if we'd come into a Sunday morning and say, Lord, bless the worship bless the teaching, bless everything that's going on, the kids in the back. But Lord, as I walk into that sanctuary, who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to suffer with because they're suffering? Who do you want me to go rejoice with because who they're rejoicing? Who do you want me to minister to as the body of Christ? Rather than how am I going to get fed, How am I going to get something out of this? But how can I give back to somebody for this hour and a half I'm here? That's the way the body is supposed to work. And to be honest, we look at some of these less honorable parts, we have a tendency to push them off to the side. Why would we do that? Jesus died for them as well. This is the hard part about Christianity. Because in Christianity, you find some of those less honorable parts coming into the body. Why do those less honorable parts come to the church? Because hopefully as a church, we're supposed to have unconditional love. The world doesn't care about them. The world tosses them off to the side. The world says, we don't want to be around you. But yet as a church, our doors are supposed to be open to the less honorable parts, to the parts that we consider dishonorable to say, you know what? God died for you. Jesus died for you. There's a plan and a purpose for you. And you have a place here in this family, in this body. Now when we have this mindset, now we can jump back here to um, Romans and kind of see where Paul wants to go with this through the Spirit. We understand what the body is now. So what's he trying to tell us? Verse 5. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord that there's not numerous Jameses. Thank the Lord there's not numerous whoever. We want each person to be unique. We want each person to be different because that adds a flair to the body. That brings in an element that we may be missing. As we've said earlier before, if everybody taught, who would lead worship? If everybody led worship, who would teach? If everybody was teaching and leading worship, who would help in the back? We need all these different functions. We need all these different things to come together, so we're a body. But verse 5, also, we're individuals. That's part of the problem is we're individuals. Because we're trying to be one, and it's difficult to be one. God desires unity. God desires us to be on the same team, serving the Lord, seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ presented. Now, when I say same team, I'm talking about here as a church, as a localized body. Because what happens is sometimes there's this ecumenical mindset that's kind of creeped into the bigger church. It basically says, you know what, let's just let go of all theological differences and just assume that we all serve to save God. You can't do that. Theologically, there's things that we can't bend and break on, on who Jesus is, the inherency of Scripture, etc. So I'm not saying we're on the same team with every other religious group and church out there. I'm saying we're on the same team when it comes to us trying to serve the Lord and what we do. Now here's the problem with being on the same team. Sometimes you don't like the people you serve with. Let's just be honest. That's a struggle. And you stop and you think about it. Sometimes that's a really difficult thing to deal with is that we can all love Christ. We can all want to see the gospel presented, but sometimes you just don't click with somebody. That's frustrating. They do things differently. They have a different mindset. Or maybe we sit there and we analyze and we say, you know what? They're not doing it out of the right heart. They're doing it out of pride. They like the attention of it. They like the pats on the back. They like everybody coming up and talking to them. I struggle with this. I'll flip on Christian radio. I'll flip on Christian television. I'll see a pastor with the church, and he has something what I call rock star Christianity. Where the whole focus is just the pastor, and it's just this whole show about the pastor, and they elevate this man up to this position, and it's just this whole emphasis. And I sit there, and it just makes me so frustrated and so upset, saying, where's the humbleness? Where is this going on? But then if I can get through my flesh and actually listen to the message, sometimes they're actually really just talking about Jesus. And I'm looking. I want them to say something theologically I disagree with so I can say, I don't like this person because of this. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes they present the gospel message pretty straightforwardly. Sometimes they present the truth of scriptures pretty straightforwardly. Now, I may not like their pride. I may not like their lack of humbleness. I may not like the way they present themselves. So how do I balance that? Well, there's this great passage out of uh, Philippians. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. I'm actually going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I like the way this reads a little bit differently than the New King James. It says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But listen to this. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. It's a pretty mature thing to say. It's a pretty mature thing for Paul to say, you know what, I don't care what their motives are, I just care that the truth comes out. Because the truth of the matter is sometimes us as Christians, someone's motives overwhelm us so much that we can't get past it. I can't serve with that guy, he's so prideful. I can't serve with that guy, I don't like the way she does that or that. Are they presenting the truth of Christ? Are they presenting the truth of the scripture? Yeah, but their personality... Listen, everybody's personality can be tough. And maybe there's areas in their personality that needs to be sanded down. Maybe there's areas of their personality that needs to be worked on. Maybe there is a pride in there. But what Paul is saying is if the truth is being preached, can we do that? Because here's the problem. The enemy would love to cause division. We just read that back in 1 Corinthians. He would love to cause division, that it's really hard to come to church because this person one time said this or that. It's really hard to come to church because the one time I served with this person and he or she treated me like this. That's out there. It's really hard to come to church because the one time I was ignored by the pastor by this. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Hopefully our motives are pure that it's not on purpose. The enemy would love to do whatever he can to keep you from coming to church. Sometimes that includes a one-hour time change. he will do whatever he can because he likes division. He likes our energy and resources being used to cause fights and problems and rifts, so therefore we can't serve. It is very difficult to be one body, In Christ, one family. It's a tough thing to do. When it all comes together, you really see the blessing of that, and you see the blessing of how it means to be a body together serving the Lord. So there's this oneness that God wants. And then the way he also helps do it is he gives us these gifts. If you're born again and saved in Christ, Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you have a gift. Now generally at this time there's someone who says, Well, I don't know, I, I don't have a gift. And I said this one time and it really bothered some people, but this is true. If you're telling me you don't have a gift from the Spirit, that means you also don't have the Spirit, which that means you don't, aren't saved. So don't tell me you don't have a gift. There's deeper issues. If you're born again and saved and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, He's given you a gift. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Now what we have here in Romans 12 is just a small listing of the gifts. If you're taking notes, please write down these passages for me, please. First Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, and then Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. Those combined with Romans 12 list all the gifts. So you may go through this list here today and say, well, what about this one, this one, or this one? Those list all the gifts, and you could do a full study on all the different gifts. Most of the time when people think of gifts, well, so I already know where the area is to serve our church. You either have to serve in worship, you have to serve with the kids in the back, you have to clean or you teach. There's nothing else that goes on. It's worship, cleaning, teaching, Or kids. Oh, my. There's so much. Let's talk about gifts. First off in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let's stop there for a second. Interesting thing here in the Greek. That word for gift in verse 6 is also the exact same word for grace in verse 6. They're the same word. You know why? Because for you to have grace, it's a gift from God. For God to give you a gift through the Spirit is him showing you grace. It's the same thing. You don't earn a gift. You may have an occasion like a birthday, an anniversary, or graduation where someone gives you a gift, but you don't earn that gift. Someone just gives you that gift out of the lovingness of their heart. It's grace. Remember, that's what grace means. Grace means to get something you don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve heaven. God gives us salvation in heaven. That's grace. I don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, giving me a gift. He gives me a gift. That's grace. So to get a gift is grace, and to have grace is a gift. That's why those words are almost interchangeable there. What an amazing thing. And so when I look at it from this perspective, that God has given me this gift, I can't be prideful about it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve anything. It goes back to what we talked about in verse 3. I shouldn't think of myself more than others. Just because someone has a more public gift... Teaching or worship or ministry or whatever doesn't make that gift more important than the person that just works behind the scenes. Each gift is given from God through the Spirit for a purpose. And so just because someone has a more public gift doesn't make them better than anybody else. We have to make sure that point comes across. So let's talk about these different gifts. First one, verse 6, prophecy. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Some of you are thinking, oh, great, first one I already don't have. I'm not a prophet. Let's talk about this word prophecy. Prophecy does mean foretelling of the future. You see that Daniel, Old Testament. You see that Isaiah, Old Testament, etc. Prophecy does mean to tell the future. But prophecy also literally means to speak forth for God. That's what the prophecy means. So to have the gift of prophecy means you're speaking forth for God. Or as the good old King James says, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes you're going to say, thus saith the Lord. Now you may not say it, thus saith the Lord. But you're going to say, you know what? The Lord really laid it on my heart to tell you this. Oh my, be careful. We're using the gift of prophecy right there. Or the Lord really laid this verse on my heart and I felt like I should give that to you. Wait a second, you're using the gift of prophecy there. Be careful, you're a prophet now. See, that's a gift that needs to be used. And actually, if you go through all the different studies of of the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4... Prophecy is a big one. Prophecy means you're speaking forth for God, and that's a huge responsibility. It's also a huge honor. So a lot of times people look at this gift and say, I don't want this one. I don't want that burden. I don't want that responsibility. But then you're also really limiting how the Lord will use you. Listen, I don't like to say, thus saith the Lord, but there are times where someone's really having in the heart, and I will contact them, and I'll say, you know what, the Lord really laid you on my heart. I'm speaking forth for God. There's times I'll contact people and say, you know what, I know you're going through a difficult time, and I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share Psalm 40 with you. I'm speaking forth for God. It's a wonderful gift to have. I love it when someone contacts me and says, you know what, the Lord really laid you on my heart, and I just want to let you know I'm praying for you, and the Lord really just wanted me to encourage you by saying, just, just hang in there. Oh, my goodness, what a great gift. I needed to hear that. So that's what prophecy means. Now, if you're going to speak forth for God, two rules. What you say has to line up with the Bible. And what you say has to line up with the nature of Jesus. If what you are saying that God says does not line up with Scripture, then either God's wrong or you're wrong. And I'm not really going to debate that point too much. Number two, if it's not going to line up with the nature of Jesus, either Jesus is wrong or you're wrong. And I'm not going to debate that point too much. See, the nature of Jesus is what the Bible is about. So when I see somebody on the news in the name of God doing something that is horribly violent or angry or murderous, that's not of God. Because the nature of Jesus tells me in Matthew 5, I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to pray for those that persecute me. I'm supposed to pray for those who spitefully use me. I'm not supposed to have that anger. So when somebody in the name of God does something sinful and wrong, I don't have to sit there and say, oh, did God lead him? God didn't lead him. It doesn't line up with Scripture. It doesn't line up with the nature of Jesus. That is not of the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Gospels? He was one of the towns rejected him. When the cities rejected him, and two of the disciples said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on him? Jesus says, you do not know what nature you are. Jesus is saying, that's not me. What you want to do in my name is not me, so don't do it in my name. Prophecy, speaking forth for God, foretelling of the future there. That's what that one. Let's go to the next one. What do we have after prophecy? We have ministry. Now some of you may be saying, okay, good, another one. I'm not a minister. Remember when we went through Colossians? One of the points that we kept making is every member is a minister. Ministry, minister just means to serve. Actually, we get our word deacon. So every one of you here is a minister. So next time you're applying for a job, put on your resume, I'm a minister. Go ahead, you can do it, you're a minister. You are serving the Lord, so therefore you get to serve. And as I read one time, if every member is a minister, that means every member has a ministry. What a neat thing. you got a ministry. I, I don't know what my ministry is. I don't know what your ministry is either. I know what my ministry is. My ministry is to... Love my wife as Christ loved the church, raise my boys in Jesus, and take care of Harvest Fellowship Church. That's my ministry. I don't know what yours is. Each person has to figure that out on their own. But if you have that gift of ministry, that means you're supposed to get out there and serve. Now, what's it mean to serve? Well, once again, serving means you either clean the church, help in the back, help with worship, or teach. Those are the only things that we do out here at church, right? Oh, my. Do you realize? I know that this week alone... Church did get cleaned. Someone with the gift of ministry came down and cleaned the church this week. I just know this week that we helped someone move. There's a bunch of guys that had the gift of ministry that got together and and helped that person move. I know that when VBS comes around, there's people with the gift of ministry. They're going to paint that piece of plywood and put it up there by the road and drive stakes in the ground. I know there's going to be people with the gift of ministry that's going to come out and decorate the church. And the people with the gift of ministry is going to actually come back and clean. People with the gift of ministry are going to change these light bulbs in here when they go out. People at the gift of ministry are going to say, you know what, that person needs a ride to the hospital. I'm off that day. I can drive that person to their hospital visit. That's the gift of ministry, just serving. I tell you this, if I had to choose gifts that we need more of out here, we need more ministers. We just need more ministers that just say, you know what, I'm willing to sweat for Jesus. What do you need done? I don't need the attention. I don't need to be on stage. I don't need my name anywhere. I just need to know what needs done, and I'll do it. That's the gift of ministry. What an amazing blessing of a gift that is. And I think if you talk to most any pastor, they'd probably say, more gifts of ministry people that just want to serve that's what the gift of ministry is you may never be in the nursery you may never le- teach a bible study you may not play one single note on an instrument but you may say james i have the gift of ministry and i just want to serve next one he who teaches and teaching that's pretty straightforward right teaching here's the thing about teaching though we, we forget this right now as we're in here teaching the adults there's eight different classrooms going on the back of teaching teachings all over the place you can teach adults you can teach preschoolers, you can teach kindergartners, you can teach junior high. On Wednesday nights there's so many kids coming out for uh, the high school group there with the teens. They're overflowing. Lots of teaching going on. What a wonderful thing. See, most of the time when we think of teaching, we think of, okay, I've got to stand behind the pulpit, I've got to wear the mic, I've got to do this. Oh my goodness, there's so many different opportunities to teach. I know where I'm called to teach. I'm called to teach the adults. Sundays and Wednesdays, I know that. Can I fill in in preschool? Can I fill in in the back if need be? Yeah but you don't want me to, I'd be with the preschooler saying, okay, four-year-olds, open up your Bibles to Romans 12, Romans 12. Did you know the same Greek word for gift and grace, Roman. You know, It wouldn't go anywhere. Just like if you brought the preschoolers out here, the teacher, and said, okay, we're going to do this craft. Now, some of you may say, finally, a craft on Sunday morning. I don't know, maybe you would like that. But the, but the point is, there's different callings for teaching. And just because my calling for teaching revolves around being in front of people and messages and recorded and... It doesn't make that teaching any more important. And I want to stress that because you know why? I'm going to tell you right now. More kids come to know Christ through those eight classrooms in the back on a Sunday morning because you're getting a mother young. You're ingraining Jesus. Into teaching is vital on all different levels. Look at the next one. Exhortation which means encouraging. Oh, man, I wish we had more people with the gift of exhortation. Gift of encouraging. If you've ever been in a rough spot, you know how blessed the gift of exhortation is. You know how blessed it is to have somebody who just cares. That word for exhortation is actually the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14, where he's called the comforter. If you have the gift of encouragement of exhortation, that means you are doing the role of the Holy Spirit and comforting people. This word for exhort or encourage carries so many different meanings. It means to help. It means to comfort. It means to console. It means to care. This is the person that says, who's in the hospital? I never met them. I don't know who they are, but I just want to go be with them and pray with them and encourage them. This is the person that says, you know what, I haven't seen so-and-so in a few weeks. I'm going to go call them. Just say hi. I'm going to drop them a card just to see how it's going. This is the person that says, you know what, I heard so-and-so is going through a difficult time. I'm just going to make a meal and take it over to them. That's the gift of encouragement. That's the gift of exhortation. What a wonderful gift that is and what a wonderful blessing that is. And we need more people to say, I just care. That person sitting by themselves, I'm going to go sit with them because I care. That person lifted up a prayer request on Wednesday, and I could tell it was really bothering them. So I'm going to purposely go over to them and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Oh, my goodness, James, that's awkward. It is awkward. I cold call people all the time. I go up and talk to people I've never met all the time. Now, you may say, well, that's easy. That's your personality. I'm telling you right now, that's not my personality. But you know what? The gift of encouragement overweighs the awkwardness of the situation. I can sit here and say, awkward, I don't know you. You don't know me, so it's just smile and wave. Or the gift of encouragement says, let's just break the ice and say, hi, I'm James. Or you know what, I, I, I couldn't help but notice you lifted up that prayer request on Wednesday, and I just want to let you know I'm, I'm praying for your family. It sounds like it's a tough time right now. Gift of encouragement. We need more encouragement. As the body grows numerically, you need more people encouraging everybody. And we need that gift of encouragement. And the problem is if we just expect the leadership of the church, well, they're the ones that encourage, they're the ones that minister, they're the ones that do this, we're missing the first point that we said. We're all ministers to the body of Christ. And, you, and this may have happened to you. Sometimes people come up to me and say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. I'll say, yes, and they're going through a difficult time. They're like, oh, what do I normally say after that? Why don't you drop them a call? Oh, I, I don't know. I just was wondering. I haven't seen them in a while. I just wondered how they're doing. No, they are on your heart. They were on your heart. You were concerned about them. So why not go the next step and drop them a call? Why not go the next step and contact them? Because that's awkward. It's really easy to go to James and just say, I just wondered how they were doing. Take it to the next level. Be an encourager. We need more exhortation. We need more encouraging. We need more comfort. There's a lot of people hurting out here. A lot of people hurt. Next one. He who gives with liberality. Now, depending on your translation, it may say generously. It may say simplicity. Now, what that literally means is free from pretense. As it says in a verse to go with this is actually Luke 6:35. Luke 6:35, where it says, give, expecting nothing in return. This is the gift of giving. I will give of my materials, my time, my energy, and my resources, and I will expect nothing in return. I hear so-and-so is working on a roof. I, I got tools they can use. I may not be able to help them, but I got tools they can use. I'll go tell them, hey, whatever you need, go ahead and take. I, I hear so-and-so is going through a difficult time, and, and they need wood chopped up. I have time. I'll give of my time. I'll give of my energy and resources. Giving and the gift of ministry a lot of times go hand in hand. I will give of my ministry, excuse me, I will give of my time and ministry. I'll give of my resources. Sometimes it may be, hey, you know, we announced that so and so needs a dryer. You know what? I got that dryer out there. I'm not really using it. Could, I could get rid of it. Or you know what? Maybe the Lord says, go get them a dryer. I don't know. It's the gift of giving. You give of your materials, your time, your energy, and your resources, and you give it generously, you give it simplistically. Saying, I'm not looking for attention. I'm not looking for the pat on the back. I'm not looking for that. I'm just doing it to do it. That's the gift of giving. Next one, he who leads... A diligence. It's kind of a weird gift, isn't it? Because most of the time when you think of lead, you think of those classic debates. Are leaders born or are leaders made? I'll tell you right now, leaders come from the Spirit. Now what's it mean to have the gift of leadership? I think the gift of leadership just simply means that you see the big picture, you see the task that needs to be done, and then you can get it done. I don't know how many times out here at church we have a ministry where there's fruit. It's fruitful. It, it, there's good things happening. There's no organization, there's no direction, there's no nothing. We need someone to come into that and say, you know what, this is what we're going to do, here's the plan, here's the purpose, let's do it. That's leadership. You see the big picture, you see how it needs to get done, and you get it done. You don't ramrod it, you don't do it out of anger or frustration, you see the big spiritual picture and you get it done. When we run into someone who has the gift of leadership, normally what we do is we just keep moving them around. Okay, this, this area of the church is a little weak. Hey, can you take care of this for a little bit? They whip it into shape. Hey, it's looking good. Hey, now this area over here, there's this Bible study that needs some attention, or there's this ministry that needs some attention. Can you go over there and do that? Yep, they go over there and do that. And what happens when someone has the gift of leadership, they'll come back and say, hey, got it done. What's next? I like those people. They're the ones that say, there's the hill. Can you take it? And they say, I'll take the hill. And when I get done taking the hill, you give me another hill, and I'll go take that hill. That's the gift of leadership, and they do it with diligence. I love those type of people. I love those type of personalities. And just remember, if you are blessed in that gift, you lead in love. You lead an example. It's really easy to lead from the chair and say do do do. But you lead in love. You lead an example. Jesus set the example of leadership by saying the leader also washes feet. What a great example. Last one. He who shows mercy but cheerfulness. A couple interesting words there. Let's go to the second word first. Cheerfulness. In the original Greek, this is where we get our English word hilarious. Joy. So that means when you show mercy, there's such a cheerfulness and a joy. You're overwhelmed with cheerfulness and joy because you get to show mercy to someone. This is not necessarily a bubbly personality. It's just you get an opportunity to show mercy to someone. What a great gift. You know how hard it is to show mercy to someone? You know how hard it is to minister? It's difficult to show mercy. It's difficult to show mercy because remember what the word grace means. Grace means I give you something that you don't deserve. Salvation, a gift. Mercy is I don't give you something that you do deserve. You deserve hellfire and brimstone. I deserve hellfire and brimstone because of sin. Mercy is God doesn't give that to me. So when you're showing mercy to someone, that means you look at the scenario and situation and you still say, because even though what they did, I still will show mercy to them. Now, this is what non-gift of mercy looks like. See that person over there? Look at the mess they made. Look at the stupid choices they have made over the past umpteen years. They put themselves in this position right now. They made a mess of their lives, a mess of their family, a mess of their kids. They can't take care of what's going on, and now they're coming and asking for help. Well, you know what? They need to sit there for a little bit and stew and think about what they've done. That is not the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is, I don't care about your past, I don't care what happened, how can I help you? You realize how hard it is to have the gift of mercy? Because we're very judgmental. And it's amazing how sometimes the lifestyles that we live... 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, we look at now with such a disdain. You see them? Gift of mercy says, I can look past the situation you're in and look at you through the eyes of Jesus. Gift of mercy is amazing. But gift of mercy with cheerfulness. Because here's the problem with the gift of mercy. A lot of us show mercy on the outside. the inside, we don't have it. We're not hilarious about the gift of mercy. I come up to you and say, hey, got a situation going on. Really need some help. I'm like, hey, I can help. And in your mind, you're thinking, just don't ask me to help on Saturday. It's going to be Saturday. And you're like, Okay, but you don't say that out loud. Okay, I can help. Now you're thinking, just don't ask me to help early on Saturday. It's going to be early. It's going to be 7 o'clock. Can you do it? Oh, yeah, I can do it. I can do it, Pastor. Whatever you need. You're showing mercy, but you don't have the cheerfulness. So you go do it. You get through it. And the whole time you're grouching and grumping and complaining on the inside. Now, no one on the outside sees it, but on the inside. So it goes so good. I think you're doing great. You have the gift of mercy. So I come back to you and say, hey, next Saturday, same thing, but we've got to meet earlier. Now it's at 6. Thank you so much for your heart. You faked it. Now what are you going to do? So now what happens is some of us hear this teaching and we say, well, this is easy then. I just don't show mercy. That's not the point. It's not the point. It is difficult to show mercy. And we all have moments of showing mercy in the exterior, but the interior is not where it's supposed to be with the Lord. I remember years ago, and I've shared this example with you before, and I'll share it again. I remember years ago when we had the Bible study uh, at our house, separate here from church. We had this Bible study of people coming together and getting together. And there was this one gal that came to the Bible study. And she was a, and I guess the word I will use is a very unique gal. She was the type of gal that the world would probably just kind of reject. The world would kind of just look over, and the world would kind of say there's not a purpose. Well, Christianity 101, we just studied this, 1 Corinthians 12. This gal has a purpose. She has a plan. The Lord says, do not ignore the less honorable parts. So this gal was important. The church opens up their arms and shows unconditional love. So this unique gal says, hey, I'm moving. I need some guys that can help me move. Now, we're young, we're dumb, we have strong backs. Yeah, we'll help you move. Now, if anybody's ever moved before, you know there's only two types of moves there is the organized move, and then there's every other type of move. And if you've ever, and if you can't determine what move it is, then you've never been with the other type of move. The other type of move is where you just show up and it's like we're moving today. Yeah, anything boxed up? No, I thought we'd just do it now. Anything ready? No, I just thought we'd do it now. That's the move we work. We show up, and it looks like there's nothing ready to be moved in any way whatsoever. Now, here's the hard part. This very unique gal obviously came from a very unique family. So this very unique extended family came also to help with this unorganized move. So we have a unique gal with unique extended family with a very unorganized move. The move that's supposed to take two hours turns into three hours, turns into four hours, turns into five. And you know what? On the exterior, hey, we're just glad to help. You know what? Your daughter is a great gal, and we're just so thankful that she's been part of this study. And at that point, you're thinking on the inside, there's hundreds of Bible studies. She could go anywhere else. You know, she doesn't have to come to our (laughs) study. Exterior, you're showing mercy. Interior, is there any cheerfulness? None. None. You're grouching, you're complaining, you're grumping, but on the outside, you just look good. And let's be honest, that's all that matters, right? As long as everybody on the outside thinks I'm good. No, what matters is what's on the inside. So this move turns into hours after hours after hours, and there's this friend and I, we're helping with the move, and the final thing we moved, and you've heard this story before, was the dog and the dog food. And so we're in this vehicle, and he, I'm driving, he's sitting here, and there's this huge thing of open dog food and dog. It smells awful. It's been six hours. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's disgusting. And we're just not having a good time we finally look at each other and we say you know you realize we've lost our rewards and that's the truth there's this point of where you lose just the whole spiritual mentality so when i die and go to heaven and jesus says you remember that move you did for that gal And I, oh yes lord he goes yeah you got nothing you got nothing you know (laughs) because it's mercy with cheerfulness i know people for some reason they just can't show mercy i don't know what it is If if the person they want to minister to does not meet their standards of acceptance, it's really hard for them just to show mercy. It goes back to the message we just had either last week or a couple weeks ago. Are we willing to be a doormat? I'm telling you right now, gift of mercy is one of the hardest gifts to do. To do it properly, mercy with cheerfulness. But I'm also telling you right now, if there's any gift you want somebody else to have towards you, it's mercy. Now, looking at these gifts... What do we say with this now now this is what happens this is not a message to drum up support to have you serve here or here or there and usually after a message like this someone comes up to me and says james i really hear what you're saying i'm really pumped about this i want to serve that that, that's part of my i I realize now I'm, i'm not doing what i'm supposed to do so i want to serve because coming to church the whole point is not just coming to hear the teaching and the worship and the fellowship it's to come and say how can i serve i want to serve you know what you do if you come up to me after church today and you say i want to serve you know what i'm going to tell you to do I'm going to tell you to go home and pray about it for a week. So, I don't want anybody signing up out of emotion. I would tell you go home, reread Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12, read 1 Peter 4, read Ephesians 4. Read over every gift listed and spend a week praying, saying, Lord, where have you called me to serve? If you come up to me after church and say, I want to serve, but what do you think I should do? I'm going to say, I have no idea. You go ask the Lord what you think you should do. Because he will lead you and guide you. If he's given you a gift, he will let you know what that is. Now, why don't we normally hear what that gift is? Because, to be honest, we usually do a trite little prayer. of Like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Thanks, goodbye. You don't wait around for the marching orders. Or, Lord, I really want to serve here. You just keep praying for that area of ministry. And God says, I've called you over here. No, 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 Lord. My personality fits great here. My talents and abilities fit great here. No, we don't choose the gift. It's grace. We don't choose that. God bestows it on us. And then we decide where to go. Last thing I'm going to say about this, and it comes down to the purpose of church. Hebrews 10, you don't need to turn there, 24 and 25, says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. God wants to stir us up. Not stir us up in a bad way, but stir us up in a good way. The purpose we come together as a body is for me to encourage you, you to encourage me. That I can serve you, you serve me. The reason we come together as a body is because I tell people all the time, what other place do you get a chance to be around hundreds of other people and say, Lord, how can I show love? What a great way to do it. That's the purpose of church. As we mentioned earlier in the message, we don't want you just to come in and say, I'm going to find my seat, hope it's a good message, hope it's good worship, and hope this happens. I want you to come in and look around and say, who can I minister to? I want you to keep your ears open so that way when an opportunity of ministry arrives, you say, Lord, is that where you want me to go? Is that where you want me to serve? Is that the person that's hurting? That's what we're looking for because we're supposed to come to stir up each other. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. God says the reason we get together as a body is to serve, encourage, help each other. Now what happens is there's some people that don't see the purpose of that, but they love Jesus. I think they do love Jesus. But you know what? They, they get their fellowship at home. They get their fellowship here. They get their fellowship there. God has designed us to be a group body. That's what he's designed us for, to come and have a time of corporate worship, a time of corporate teaching, a time of corporate prayer, a time of corporate service. It's really easy just to become the individual person. There's a great passage in Isaiah that says, woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone. We're a group person. Now, why don't we want to be a group person? It's hard to be around other people. It's hard to be around some people like that. So that's why it's very easy just to say, it's easier to be home. I don't like the social thing. I don't like the social people. I don't like being around everybody. Maybe that's a personality trait the Lord's trying to work through with you. Maybe God's saying that's something you need to work through. There's certain people that just love the social aspect of church. It's not hard for them. For other people, it's a real struggle. Prayer may be easy for you. Prayer may be hard for me. Teaching may be easy for me. Teaching may be hard for you. We're all unique individuals. But there is a blessing of coming together as a group and as a body. That's what God has ordained us to do. It shows the kids a godly example. It shows our neighbors a better witness. And it encourages us and uplifts us. And it gives us an opportunity to hear what the Lord says and have that time of worship. And I'm not saying this for everybody. but I'm just saying this from what I've seen When I see somebody who doesn't make that emphasis with church, generally speaking, not for everybody, generally speaking, they're usually not making a lot of time during the week to be in the Word and in prayer and in worship. They're really missing out on what the Lord wants to say and what the Lord wants to do. And this is why the Lord has told us we're a body. Come together, act like a body, be a body. Do things pop up? You bet. Kids get sick. People get sick. Sometimes people work on Sundays. Sometimes there's activities that just take up time. There's things all around, and I, we all understand. That's why it's so vital to say on the days we can, we want to be a corporate body. That's where the blessing is. And I encourage you, go home and say, Lord, what gifts have you given us on how we can serve the body of Christ? How can we serve you, Lord, by serving the people, no matter who? It is? Marvin, come forward here for the final song. Really looking forward to next week. I absolutely love verses nine through twenty one. Like I said